You're listening to the Tree of Life podcast, where we desire to be a bridge between the two covenantal peoples, physical Israel and spiritual Israel, by inspiring the non-Jewish part of Messiah's body to reconnect with its Jewish roots through biblical teaching and worshipful demonstrations, and to work towards greater understanding and reconciliation between Messiah's body and traditional Judaism. And now, here's Rabbi Joel Lieberman coming today. We began this series back February 26th, and of course we've had special services with Passover and, and uh, first fruit, early first fruits and Yom HaShoah and Yom HaAtzma'ut, and we're back with our final installment. We began back in February with a brief overview of the three covenants, key covenants with the nation of Israel, the relationship between the Abrahamic covenant and the Sinai covenant, the relationship between the Sinai covenant and the new covenant We looked at Abraham's two sons, who are symbolic of two covenants from Galatians chapter 3. We looked at uh, the relationship between the law and the spirit. And I want to finish up today focusing on the new covenant, which is a ministry of the spirit. Uh, Actually, if I can get some ushers to hand out those outlines, Craig, if you would uh, help me on that, just so that you can take this home. We're going to be going through this, and there's just a lot, and I don't want you to miss it, so I want you to be able to take this home Study it out at your leisure. And listen, some of the things that I share, as I have throughout the entire series, might be a little controversial, might step on your theological toes. This is one rabbi's best effort at putting this together. Open with me this morning to the Brit Chadashah, the New Covenant. By the way, I've got a, a friend here in the congregation today. I wasn't sure if he was coming. There's a big wedding happening tomorrow, uh, and a lot of the Messianic uh, believers, young people, are out for it. But one of them came this morning from Toronto, Canada. Ari, if you just stand up, wave. He's from City of David Messianic Synagogue in Toronto, Canada. His dad is a very good friend. He serves as the vice president of the Messianic Jewish Alliance of America. And... Um, Ari grew up with my son in the movement, and I could tell you some crazy stories about this young man, Uh, and and I'm probably going to tell it wrong, but there was a a contest in Canada uh, for the nation uh, with various science majors at local universities to come up with the next newest invention for the nation of Canada, and he and a few other buddies uh, enrolled in this particular contest over, this was a couple years ago, I believe, and as they were winnowing down and finalizing who these finalists would be. This is the entire nation of Canada that he won first prize for the newest invention coming out of the nation of Canada. It's a $1 million prize that he put back into R&D for his company. And he can tell you more about it after the service if you're interested. So don't despise our young people. They got something on the ball. And so I assume you're going to tithe a little bit of that money to Tree of Life by you being here this morning. Appreciate that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's look at verse 7 this morning. But if the ministry of death, speaking of the effect really of the law against sin, that's what Paul's talking about, Shaul's talking about, written and engraved on stones was glorious. Yes, it was glorious. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. Here's the key, verse 8. How will the ministry of the Ruach, of the Spirit, not be more glorious? My friends, this is the 
meat and potatoes of the new covenant. Hear me this morning. Hear my heart. We must, it's not a suggestion, we must, we must be spirit-focused. My friends, we have to understand that, quote, it is the spirit who gives life. The coming of Ruach Kodesh, the Holy Spirit, was, listen to this, no less to fulfill the gospel than Messiah's coming was a fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, is the source of, quote, every good and perfect gift from above. And I've given you 32 reasons for that. And we're not going to go over all 32, just a few. The scriptures, number one, are inspired or God-breathed by the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 3.16, the Ruach convicts us of sin, right? Righteousness and judgment. We've talked about that in prior sessions. The Ruach enlightens our minds so that we can see the Messiah. The Spirit draws us to the Messiah. We are born of the Spirit. We are then sealed by the Spirit. The Spirit organically joins and unites us to Yeshua. And I've given you other examples from the New Covenant as well. My friends, if it's not by the Spirit, how many of you know it's not going to last? The new covenant is really focused on the spirit, which leads me to ask you, shouldn't we be? Since Ruach HaKodesh has such preeminence in the new covenant scriptures, we have to give heed to some logic that Shaul rolls out in this regard. Go with me to Galatians chapter 3. It's on your sheets as well, verse 2. And three, I want to welcome you those listening to the podcast on Apple iTunes, Podbean, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for logging on to Facebook Live. Put in the chat your prayer requests. We have a link for you on that. We pray every Tuesday evening as men. We have different prayer teams as well that pray for your requests. Thanks for logging on to our YouTube channel. Thank you for being with us and learning with us this morning. And Paul writes Galatians 3 verse 2, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the spirit, the ruach, by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? In other words, Paul's saying, should we be saying, well, now that I've been born anew, born again, it's now incumbent upon me to go back to the law and to reattempt to keep it to keep it, to finish my justification. Should we be saying that? Paul's saying, I don't think so. Now behind this argument is the understanding that the coming of the Holy Spirit is the fruit of the death, resurrection, and ascension of Messiah. It reminds us really of the passage in Luke chapter 9 where we find Kepha, Yochanan, and Yeshua appearing with Elijah and Moses. You remember the story. Peter says, hey, let's Build a little tabernacle here for y'all. And he's instantly corrected. This is my beloved son. Listen to him, came the voice. And in the same way, can you hear the voice from the cloud as it was back in those days of Yeshua saying, this is my spirit. Listen to him. Can you hear the Holy Spirit saying that to our generation today? I can hear it. So having received Messiah, and I assume that most everyone here has done that, there are three that I see anyway, three requirements 
for then walking in the Spirit by which we fulfill the law. The title of this series, The Law of Lift, think of the law of lift or walking in the Spirit in reference to our airplanes, right? We can call this airline, as we showed the El Al plane, uh, Tikva Airlines, right? The hope, the hope of Israel, the hope of our Jewish people. The plane, as you know, has two wings near the center, which enables it to lift off the ground, right? And to stay in flight. But as you know, the airline, the airplane has three, a set of three wings in the, in the rear called tail wings. Three wings. And I liken that to the three requirements for walking in the spirit. The three requirements are this. If you want to walk in the spirit, it's a requirement. You've got to walk in faith, love, and purity of heart and conscience. Let's talk about that for a moment. First Timothy chapter 1 on your outlines, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is, here it is, love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. There are the three requirements right there to walk in the Spirit. Paul talks about it in Galatians 5 verse 6. For in Messiah Yeshua, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but here it is, faith working through love. So the law of lift is not is not activated, if you will, by natural identity, through the, though the Abrahamic covenant uh, still assures us of a Jewish identity. We talked about that in session one. But by the inward working of the Spirit, through faith, through love, through purity of conscience and heart. Let's talk about those three wings, those rear wings, those requirements for walking in the Spirit. Let's talk about faith by the Spirit. What's that? Faith in Messiah. Faith in the Word of Messiah. Faith in the person, in the presence of his spirit. Faith includes both something subjective, a believing of the word, believing of his spirit. The prompting of the spirit, it's a subjective understanding. But there's an outward objective obedience to the word as well, and the obedience to the spirit. It's not just that he wrote his Torah for us so many years ago and we got saved, but the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, he says what? Do not harden your heart. Today. You see, you know in your spirit that you need to do something, right? Or that you need to stop doing something. We're to obey those promptings of the spirit. That's what it means to walk in the spirit. Paul writes Galatians 3.11, but that no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident. For, quote, the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith. Why? It's a different covenant. But the man who does them shall live by them. That's faith by the Spirit. That's one of the wings. But there's love, the other side wing as well. Love by the Spirit. What are, what are the greatest commandments? Yeshua said, Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, and one of them, a lawyer, you remember, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Yeshua said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Paul writes to the Roman believers, owe no man, owe no one anything except to what? Love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. It's incredible. 
And finally, that center wing, if you will, of the back three wings is purity by the Spirit. He is, above all, the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to the Roman believers, Romans 6, verse 20, For when you were slaves of sin... How many of you know sin brings a slavery to our lives? For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is mavet, is death. But now having been set free from sin and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit resulting in, here it is, the purity, holiness. And the outcome is eternal life. Purity, faith, and love. Purity protects you from danger while you're in flight as you operate in faith and love. But then it still leaves us the questions about the present use of the law. I'm trying to put, bring it all together here from the last three sessions and its use. Paul writes to his mentee Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.8 on your outline. But we know that the law is good, listen, if one uses it lawfully, or I believe a better word could have been translated legitimately. It's a clearer word in my opinion. It's the way we use the law that counts. Rav Shaul here gives us the key. The law is good if we use it the right way as people living by the Spirit under the new covenant. But we need to be careful here because Paul Shaul reminds us that some have actually perverted this. They've actually strayed from the essential spiritual principles governing the new covenant. And he writes to his mentee and he's training him and he says in verse 6, chapter 1, 1 Timothy 1, verse 6, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. How have they strayed? Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. To Titus as well, his mentee, he says, but avoid foolish disputes, hello, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. For they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Here are several vital uses of the Torah, of the law. My friends, it's obvious that no portion of the scriptures can ever become antiquated, can ever lose its instructiveness, can ever lose its significance, could ever lose its value. We've talked about in prior sessions that Torah reveals and teaches us, again, the holiness of Adonai. It establishes his standards of righteousness. It objectively defines what sin is, brings sin into the light, right? Awakens our conscience about that, convicts us about that. It is the perfect foundation. It is the backdrop. It is the forerunner of the gospel. And when used effectively in sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit uses the Torah to prod, to goad, to do the work of conviction, and to tutor people, as we learned last time, to the Messiah. Principles of the Sinai Covenant, as 
Judge Clampett will tell you, have been the foundation of our civil law, right? Our criminal law, our governmental law in society for centuries. What about sanitary laws? What about kosher laws? This might offend you, but are we better off eating pork or not eating pork? The law, the Torah, is instructive as earthly shadows and types of spiritual and heavenly realities, Hebrews 8 tells us. The Torah is foundational to even understanding the new covenant. The Torah provides an endless source of examples and spiritual principles that can be interpreted and applied through its writings, the new covenant writings. It helps establish the credentials of who the Messiah would be, where he would be born, etc. He would be a prophet like Moses, Deuteronomy 18 tells us. It further defines and keeps us as Jews in terms of our national identity, developing instruction about Shabbat, right, and festivals and and, and, and mezuzot, etc. But there are some principles for our use of it. The principle of liberty. Not obligation. The key being motive here. Now this, you might disagree with me and that's fine. Paul writes in Colossians 2.16. So let no man or let no one judge you in food or in drink. Or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Messiah. My friends, Adonai's Torah is holy. We know that there is nothing about it that needs to be avoided. Listen, when I... Anybody have insomnia here every once in a while? Listen, we don't need to avoid the Torah. Go to the Leviticus laws about leprosy and you will fall asleep reading that. I guarantee you it works. No, just kidding. The scriptures themselves declare, quote, these words are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Deuteronomy 32, 47. It is a covenant it is a set of instructions making clear to us how to live out our new creation lives in the righteousness of God. God God's Torah is holy. God's Torah is good. Far from it being a detriment to our lives, it is useful. It is helpful for our spiritual, our moral, our ethical well-being. The Torah is the teaching about God's righteousness. It's not a vehicle to attain righteousness. Rather, it is a book of instruction revealing what God's righteousness actually looks like and how to live out that righteousness, which we now have become in Messiah. Nevertheless, we are at liberty in the spirit to practice elements of the law, especially as they relate to defining our distinct national identity as Jews, and those which bring spiritual edification. For example, we just came through that period of time at Passover. And not only defines us as Jews, but it is deeply edifying, right, as believers, as we behold Messiah in the Torah. I knew you'd take issues with this, and you're messing with the sound system on me, aren't you? You want, you want to shut me down, don't you? I, I know you do. Should I take this mic? Let's do that. Not just you, April, today, by the way, with the songs. It's not. It really is not. Q. 
keeping Passover not only defines us as Jewish people, but for all who came and come every year, it's deeply edifying as we behold the Messiah in the Passover, right? But to discuss whether someone who is uncircumcised can join us at the Passover Seder seriously misses the mark. And I'm not just making that up. That happens every single year at our Seders. In addition, we have to understand the difference between practice and doctrine. Notice the practice of the early believers in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 4. Now, the multitude, I'm reading, I see now a different version from what's up there. The multitude of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, right? But they had all things in common. The fact is that they... That congregation in Jerusalem nearly 2,000 years ago practiced in that way. But that does not, my friends, lay down a doctrine that all congregations have to do likewise. The fact that they practice sharing in that way does not lay down a doctrine that tree of life must do likewise. Paul kept elements of the law as well as a matter of choice. And I can hear you looking at me in that tone of voice because it's... We're thinking here, he kept elements of the law as a matter of choice, not obligation. Quote, 1 Corinthians 9, 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might all, by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be a partaker of it with you. So, so since these things that Paul's talking about are a matter of personal choice, we cannot insist, my friends, that others keep it or don't keep it the way that we do. We, have, we must not enter into judgment. Amen. Romans 14, let's look at verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to dispute over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own matter he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Verse 5. One person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Now go down with me to verse 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. Now we find it, I find it anyway, interesting here that the quote-unquote weak are not actually instructed, listen, to change their opinions or behavior. 
but to recognize their own responsibility to be fully convinced in their own minds that what they practice is for the Lord. The weak are believers, either Jewish or non-Jewish, who have not grown in their faith sufficiently to have given up attachment, listen, to the compulsiveness of various ascetic practices and calendar observances. The compulsiveness of it. It's been my experience in Messianic Judaism that there are some believers, Jewish or non-Jewish, whose tie to certain practices and observances are irrational and emotional. They're often linked to psychological needs, social pressures, even superstitions. Or it may be simply just a matter of habit, and when they're questioned about their activities in these areas, I find that these believers are, quote, not fully convinced in their own mind. We find several distinct groups of people out there in our movement who fit this description. And I want to just talk about three for a moment, and then we're going to end. First, there are non-Jewish believers who have blindly accepted and adopted elements of Jewish practice as part of their faith with believing in Yeshua, who have not truly decided that maybe some of that is not important for them. We find this very commonplace in the first century. In Acts 15, the entire book of Galatians gives this issue considerable attention. On the other hand, we have Jewish and Gentile believers in the movement who have been brought into their faith walk, who have brought into their walk with Yeshua practices found in other religions, which, which they've come from, which, which they're familiar with. These practices often are contrary to the good news of the Messiah. I find this true. Many people today are getting saved out of New Age movements. Who continued these practices in their walk with Yeshua, not even realizing that they were harmful to their walk with Yeshua. So we've got that group that have come into the movement. And we have a final group. There are Messianic Jews in our movement who have not seemed to grasp the incorporation of the new covenant into the Torah and the presence of the Holy Spirit in them, it alters the way in which the Torah is to be applied. And they therefore feel a compulsiveness about observing ceremonial and ritual details. The whole circumcision, I'm not coming to your Seder because I'm not circumcised. It's a compulsiveness. When they become, quote, strong... That's when they get set free from the compulsiveness. At the, same time, there are, at the same time, though, there are Messianic Jews in the movement who have decided out of their own conviction to observe Torah as interpreted by the rabbis in the same way as non-Messianic Jews are observing it, except for such parts of that halakha as they believe conflict with the good news, and that's fine too. April, if you'd come up. So you can see we've got a lot of issues at play in the Messianic movement. <laughs> a little more complex than your average non-Jewish assembly in, the, in these matters. The scriptures here say that the strong in faith in Rome believe that what? They may eat all things and that they regard it every day alike. We had a great Mother's Day celebration here last Shabbat along with Yom Ha'atzma'ut 
we elevated those days, probably do the same thing for Father's Day here. But they regarded with contempt those who did not eat certain things, suggesting that they despised or dismissed the practices of the, quote, weak as invalid before God, a disposition that Paul is directly confronting here as wrong. My friends, this passage is not dealing with the clear commandments of God. That's not what we're talking about here. It's dealing with those believers for which there are clear differences of opinion. And so we find implied in this passage to Rome that both the weak and the strong thought the other guy was weak. It's important to see. Why? Because both groups are subject, right, to criticizing and condemning the other group. I believe Rabbi Saul was trying to point out that the problem of the, quote, weak is that he or she is just a little bit mixed up as to how day-to-day cleanliness comes about. He or she feels a tinge of conscience to observe some rule in order to keep his or her life clean. He's not, or she's not, been brought to the point of understanding that day-to-day cleanliness comes from the righteousness in Messiah. The test here, the text here rather, does not specifically refer to Jewish holidays, but to any days that a Yeshua follower might have come to regard as especially holy. The key, here's the key as we close today, is that each of us should be fully convinced in our own mind on doctrinal and practical disputes regarding matters with which the scriptures are indifferent. Mother's Day, Father's Day. We know that where scripture gives a clear word for us, our personal opinions must yield, right? They must give way to the word of God. But where the word of God is silent, Paul encourages these followers of Yeshua to let each be persuaded in his or her mind. Isn't that interesting? If you'd stand with me today. Lord, we ask you this morning to establish us in right biblical doctrine in Messiah and full persuasion on secondary matters. I have a rabbi friend of mine, will not give you his name, who following the Yom Kippur service every year, Messianic rabbi, goes to the deli to eat on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On Yom Kippur, day of fasting, afflicting of one's soul. To afflict one's soul. On Yom Kippur, the day of atonement, the rabbi's going to the deli eating corned beef on the day of afflicting one's soul and fast. I'm not going to judge him. I'll sit down for hours and discuss why and try to convince him on these matters. That it's not a secondary matter, but... We bind the spirit of error that would attempt to hijack this movement in any way, Lord. 
We loose the spirit of truth and grace and power of Yeshua on us. Lord, it's been an illuminating four-session study. And I know, Lord, even going through it once again, I've been challenged in some of my judgmentalism, in my criticizing, in my maybe understanding of matters that might not be, that's something that doesn't speak necessarily in your word, but it is a secondary matter. Lord, I ask that we would take all that has been said and communicated in the study, bring it back, be good Bereans, rightly divide these things for ourselves, be fully convinced in our mind on these matters, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for this movement. It's not monolithic. A Messianic synagogue in Toronto looks different than a Messianic synagogue in San Diego. A Messianic synagogue in Nome, Alaska looks a lot different from a Messianic synagogue in Manhattan. But Lord, you have raised us up to be a light to our people. So Lord, I'm asking, oh God, that this film would be a light to our people, the Harbingers film. That this conference coming up on June the 4th would be a light to those in San Diego. For all that you are calling to attend, bring them from Dolzura to Pacific Beach, from San Ysidro to Oceanside, to be healed, to rendezvous back with their father, heavenly father, to be healed maybe from earthly father wounds, to hear about the one new humanity in Yeshua, both Jew and Gentile, united together in the olive tree. Lord, and for those here who are just going through life stuff, we pray today, Lord, that they would come through this service more encouraged than when they walked in the door. May they make the Holy Spirit a priority in their lives as you have made the Spirit a priority for us. Some operate a different way and some people will pound the table. If you don't pray in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. We can debate on those. We can pound the table. We can go to the Word on it. But Lord, we recognize that you have filled us with your Ruach to lead us and to guide us into all truth. We know it's a dangerous world outside these four doors, but when we come up next to danger, that means Ruach HaKodesh has come up next to danger. Thank you for the comforter that leads and guides us. Thank you for Tree of Life this morning. Thank you for us being here for such a time as this. Now continue to activate us, continue to bring us close together as a community that we are one moving out of this place with, with a core message and that Yeshua is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through Him. May we be about the Father's business today. B'Shem Yeshua, U'Mishichenu. Amen? Amen. And so God told Moses, to tell Aaron how to bless the sons and daughters of Israel with these words. They're not my words, they're God. This is God's blessing. Receive it from him today. Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift up his countenance over you and grant you his shalom. In the name of the Prince of all shalom, Yeshua of Nazareth. 
on all of us who are with him to the end would say, Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom, everybody. We'll see you out there for Kiddush. Shavuot Tov. Thanks for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website, treeoflifeca.org, and be sure to subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google, Spotify, or via RSS, so you'll never miss a show. While you're at it, if you've found value in this show, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes, or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. If you like this show, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Tree of Life Messianic Jewish Congregation, to see more content, including our weekly live stream. Be sure to tune in for our next episode as we continue to explore our Jewish roots through Scripture.